Do you live in the middle of nowhere and feel separated from the church? Yeah, that's me. Or do you think the church is out of touch? Absolutely. Then this podcast is for you. Coming to you from the Diocese of Sioux City. What? Where the hell is Sioux City? Welcome to Outcast Catholic with your hosts, Father Shane Demon and Father Travis Crotty. Ladies and gentlemen, happy summer. Uh, it's Father Shane Demon, host of Outcast Catholic, along with... Father Travis Crotty, the other host of Outcast Catholic. We're just mixing it up today, Father. Good to see we you. Are. We're back in the saddle for the first time in a long time, Father Shane. We are. It's been a few weeks. Uh, you and I have been running around going in different directions, but even though we work in the same exact office, we haven't had yeah. a lot of overlap recently. I stole your chairs at your office, so we're moving We're moving offices, vocations office, now on the second floor of the Chancery for everybody who, who wanted to know. It's a big deal um, for the hundreds the who will come floor. in. Right. Apply absolutely. Who listen to this podcast already? Right. Um, you have these nice armchairs, blue mm-hmm. armchairs, mm-hmm. and I kind of rearrange them um, Come to my likings them. with a with a nice kind of contemporary target lamp. Mm-hmm. But in your little stackable desks, which were kind of interesting. Yeah, we found those like on Wayfair uh, or something. Yeah, it was an it was an interesting choice. They're like um, the Russian nesting dolls of desks. Kind of. So You can put them in different corners. They don't all have to be ca- yeah, kept put little, together. Put a little plant on it or something. I don't think they'll cry. They're not a family of little end tables. <laughs> anyway, They'll be fine. <laughs> Move them where you it's want. It's good to be back. Just full on some delicious uh, Indian food from Sioux City. Yes, we just ate Indian food. Um, feeling good. You got it nice and mild. It doesn't surprise me that you order mild Indian food. You know, there's some things I like. Kind of a mild guy. Well, I like horseradish. Okay. Uh, I like spicy mustard. It's kind of like, like, like white people spicy, you know? Like okay, if you horse, will. Horseradish. And, if you will. And mustard, yeah. If you will. A, um, a German spice, if you will. I do like certain things chili, but I don't know. Sometimes with Indian food, it just burns my mouth off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like burning the, fire hot. The naan bread was particularly delicious. Very delicious. <laughs> do you know what we have to talk about, Father, first? What, what do we have to talk about first? In this episode that we are recording right now, we have marked our two-year anniversary. What? We are entering year three with this episode Get out today. Of yep. And you were saving this. You didn't even tell me over. We didn't even celebrate over the Indian food. You we didn't. Until this moment. We should me. have got, we should have told the waiter oh, and they brought out like have. a flaming brownie or something. <laughs> I don't know. But it, the Indian. Should we go back and have them sing happy anniversary to you, Father? <laughs> I would enjoy that. I'm yeah. sure the waiters could do that. Wow, two years has gone by quick. It has. Quickly. We, we started yeah. in COVID season in 2020, and yeah. two years have gone by now. Wow, wonderful. Congratulations. Well, gosh, if you have stuck with us for two years, send us an email and let us know. Yeah, if you've been with us for these two years, God bless you. God bless you. We haven't run you out yet. No, that's great. I We're, hope there's some people... We, I'm those, sure we have some listeners who are I outcast are, to the Outcast Catholic <laughs> podcast now. Yeah, who probably stopped listening. We have a yes. lot of people who see us and they give you like the the pity thing where they're like, "Oh, like I've listened," and then <laughs> they're like, "Oh, I just don't, I just don't, I just don't keep up all the time." Uh-huh. And I'm I'm always like, ah, "It's okay." Doesn't yeah, doesn't you don't owe us me. anything. Yeah, you don't owe us anything. But mm-hmm. for those of you who've who've been consistent, who've listened to every episode, those gold medallion members, you will get racking up their points, a special <laughs> prize. Which is a, a conversation on my blue chairs. If you come to the vocations office, oh, but you're going to have to drive all the way to Sioux City for that. So okay, <laughs> you never know; someone might show up, just want to sit in your blue chairs, Father. You never you know. Your, you can put your uh, sparkling beverage on the little tables. Mm. How about that, that's awesome. Two years. Congratulations! Happy anniversary, Outcast Catholic. 
Hopefully um, the next two years will be uh, will work trying to do it um, remotely. Yes, we're about to launch that as I move towards St. Louis and become yeah. the new um I hope, we don't, lose the, I hope we don't lose the spice, you know, because like not being face-to-face, not kind of spicing up with Indian food beforehand. And Well, we are going to have to work on like, we're going to have to see each other. Yeah, you know? uh, through like a kind of like a FaceTime thing. Exactly. We're going to have to be seeing each other to do this. Mm-hmm. So listeners, stay tuned. Work but with us in our glitches. That means that you're going to be on the other end with Father Paul Hazing. That's right. Jim Keating. That's right. I keep naming guys from Kendrick now. I mean, there's all these great guys. That's right. Father, Father Fadiaro. Have Father Dr. Feingold on, either one of them, because both of both them, are, of there them are there. Yeah, that's right. We're going to have the whole Feingold family on. <laughs> the Feingold family episode, that's all. That's right. That'll be great. Can't yeah. um, as we're marking this momentous anniversary of our Outcast Catholic you know, show. Yeah, family. Family. <laughs> there's also, it's been a pretty momentous time recently uh, with the recent Supreme Court decision that was released on uh, the Feast of the Sacred Heart. Yeah, and which was a priestly ordination for us in the diocese with Father Zach Jones. It was. Um, Big day. So, Father, what I'd like to do in this episode is, you and I are not legal scholars. We're not going to sit here and parse the Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade and Casey versus Planned Parenthood of 1992. What I'd like to do instead is lean into those who fear the outcasts by the court's decision— um, those who feel really outcasts from the pro-life movement and those who feel really outcasts that they feel like they had no other choice but to undergo an abortion or support abortion to pay for it, you know, drive someone to an abortion, things like that. I had no other choice. And I specific, specifically want to reach out to um, any women listening, uh, but also those who might just come in contact with women who really do feel like an outcast from this whole decision, who feel like their rights have been stripped away, or who feel so backed into a corner that the Supreme Court's decision has now left them with no alternatives. Um, I think we have to be very, very sensitive in the pro-life movement of those who might be coming from that perspective. And that's not to diminish the gift of life. It's not to diminish the Christian belief that, you know, human beings from the moment of conception, are on a trajectory towards the fullness of life. Uh, I, I don't really want to get into kind of you know parsing those things out. Rather, I just really want to speak to those who feel like I am now backed into a corner, I have very little choices in front of me, and there might be a great deal of fear or anxiety building in their hearts. Yeah. And, and isn't that the Christian move of mercy? I'm just thinking of different things. Like, we would never want an unjust war to happen. And, and even if our side was winning, it would be the Christians who'd rush to nurse the wounded on the other side, right? Mm-hmm. This is the same reality right now that <clears throat> I think the kind of politically charged environment of our country now wants to just sort of like, the, the kind of pro-life move is to shake it in your face, like shake your fist in their face, like look at you, like we, we got you now, like ha ha ha. But it's like, no, there's, there are like people's, people's lives and hearts on both sides of this issue struggling, right? Mm-hmm. Feeling outcast. And I think too often, like we, we've experienced recently with um, the podcast we released about Pride Month, mm-hmm. um, there's these moments where when the, when the church says something definitively, it, it does make people feel outcast, right? People are, people are on the outside of that teaching or that comment or something. So I'm glad that we're leaning into this because, yeah, there's lots of people hurting on both sides of any political issue, but especially this big kind of like 
raging abortion issue right now. Mm-hmm. And the Supreme Court decision has created ripple effects worldwide. Um, I just saw an article this week that a South Korean Catholic bishop, who is the head of the pro-life subcommittee of the Korean Bishops Conference, is really calling on the South Korean government to look at this issue in light of the U.S. Supreme Court's decision. Uh, I've seen other articles from the U.K. that a lot of British pro-life groups are are really you know feeling quite emboldened by this decision and looking to America as a um, you know as a real clarion call to protect the gift of life. Um, but the ripple effect continues in many other ways. As I said earlier, for those who really feel outcast from this decision and those who really feel threatened or, or full of anxiety. I was speaking to a friend recently who used to work at a staffing agency. And, um, you know, she's, she's obviously very pro-life and a, and a devout practicing Catholic. Um, but her heart really goes out to a number of women because she said, working in a staffing agency, you'd be placing people on short-term contracted labor. And she said, I know that there were single women with multiple children at home who, for a variety of circumstances or under a variety of circumstances, find themselves pregnant again. And they might feel like they have no other choice but to abort. Or some of them, you know, would have the, have the you know, deliver the baby and then immediately go back to work because they're on contracted labor. It might be a part-time thing, might be a seasonal thing. There's no such thing as maternity, you know, leave for them or or paid vacation time, um, and so for for a number of women out there, uh, a number of families out there, they might just feel very very constricted. Mm-hmm. And I think rather than just sitting back on our laurels and rejoicing that the United States Supreme Court has declared that there is not a constitutional right within federal within a federal perspective of the right to terminate a pregnancy. Uh, I think now's the time to actually advance forward and to say that the pro-life cause must be there to protect life, to help families, to support women in all these different circumstances and all of these different stages. It is not enough to be pro-baby. It is not enough to be pro-delivery. You know, pro-life is actually much more expansive than that. It is, and I think anybody who's been in the pro-life movement has realized that While this, yeah, okay, it eventually happened on the level of the Supreme Court. The pro-life movement happened at the level of the individual who was praying outside of a Planned Parenthood, who was helping out at the pregnancy resource centers. And likewise, any time we offer Christian mercy, it always happens like like one-to-one. What I'm thinking about is my experience of um, ministry with a simple house in Kansas City. Um, They called what they did friendship evangelization, right, because they— there were a lot, there's lots of different kind of, um, uh, you know, different organizations that help people with monetary, um, expenses with, with housing, with food and all these different things. What they realized was there's a lot of money being thrown. There's a lot of resources being thrown. There's not a lot of friendship being offered. Mm -hmm. So they would just meet these, meet different people, their friends, either single moms in the projects, people on the streets, people living homeless, um, not unlike what Christ in the city does that we've talked yeah, about before, in Denver. but with this more intentional kind of like, I'm going to walk with you, this single mother in the project with all of her kids to get the help that's available through the government. But what was beautiful was to see what the friendship evangelization looked like. I'm just trying to be your friend. You're in front of me. I'm trying to offer this support. And as I worked with that, I got to see the the culture of the inner city, not to call out Kansas city. It's just where I worked, but I, I've seen it in Omaha and some other cities around, but I got to see the culture of just absentee, like 
fathers just completely gone or in prison or mm-hmm. just completely gone. So there's this culture of like, you're just trying to find kind of some support or some kind of a love or some kind of affection. You get pregnant, you have these kids until another guy who has a job can come along. And I mean, just saw it time and time and time and time again. And what I saw right away was, man, I don't even know if this, this is necessarily like the choice of these women. They don't, they don't know any other life, like mm-hmm. being stuck in the kind of like dried up inner city uh, culture that's, that's still present and then watching young boys grow up that way, watching young girls grow up that way. So there's not this blame that's necessarily always there on people who find themselves in the situation. Mm-hmm. But just like those missionaries could respond in friendship, one-on-one, meeting these people where they're at, that's how this response needs to be, right? It's not just some kind of generic or general response. It's not some kind of political response. It's not some kind of programmatic response, right? Like when we think of how the church has, has helped alleviate poverty in the world, we think of Mother Teresa, who herself went and picked somebody up off the street in India. like, And then stuff can follow. But it's not just about programs. It's literally about how we can help those, which is hard. It's hard when we're sitting around and we don't know how to do that. Mm-hmm. I think it's good as we step into this conversation to have that in mind, that just like the pro-life movement happened on the level of the individual, so too does this continuation of the pro-life movement have to happen in friendship, right? In meeting people face-to-face, mm-hmm. not just some big program or big idea. Well, I think that's well said, and um, meeting people for friendship has to come on all levels. And someone might say, well, I don't know who in my community is contemplating an abortion. You know, I don't know who in my community just suffered a miscarriage and has been going through a lot of grief, whether that's a man or a woman. Right. You know, the, the, the grief of the loss of fatherhood or motherhood is still there. Um, you know, some of these things remain rather hidden. Or if they don't have a lot of context with some of the uh, urban areas that you just mentioned that you were working in, they might just say, well, where does my friendship begin? Obviously, there's lots of ways to volunteer resources, time and energy to, to pregnancy centers, um, women's health care facilities. Um, but I, I think the pro-life movement is called to be more creative than that. Rather than just simply dropping off baby clothes at the pregnancy center, which is a good, and, that's, and, and fresh diapers for, for young families is a, is a wonderful thing, but this friendship that you're speaking of really involves a, a personal accompaniment. Um, and if you just feel like in your own circum- circumstances that you're not really around somebody who's kind of dealing with the aftermath of a lost pregnancy, uh, there's plenty of other ways to still be pro-life, uh, to accompany those who might be grieving on a number of different issues, um, those who just feel trapped or anxious. You know, Maybe you're just around coworkers who disagree with the Supreme Court decision, and how might a how might a conversation in the in the lunchroom, or in in the you know the little coffee galley, how might that just spark a, a discussion to say, well, tell me about your perspective, you know, what gives you that perspective, what's your history, uh, how can I learn from your perspective, and how can we grow together, especially if someone's operating out of a sense of woundedness or pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, and there just seems to be I can feel it in myself sometimes. There's this the fear that comes with even addressing some of these topics because they're just known to be so controversial, right? When I was in high school, we had these like position papers we wrote and there was a a website that was given to us by our teacher with all these different topics we could talk about that were kind of controversial, like from something as simple as sort of like (laughs) milk, you know, like, or, or like the, the vegan debate to like euthanasia, but abortion wasn't on the list. Mm. And I, I pushed back and asked my teacher at a public high school, I was like, well, why can't I, why can't I write this on abortion? She said, that's too controversial. We don't talk about that, right? Mm-hmm. And you, you feel that even with people who are really passionate, 
who might, I mean, people who are really passionate around the vaccine because it's like, absolutely not. I'm so pro-life that because these cell lines stem back to these boarded tissue, like so pro-life, but there's this debilitating fear that I would never actually talk to somebody about that. Right. When now you're actually confronted with this question that's in the culture, in the media constantly, like kind of floating around, but there's sometimes inability to even acknowledge it in front of somebody else. Cause there's a fear of the vitriol that'll follow. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we step into it with the defensiveness, we're probably going to be met with defensiveness and kind of vitriol and like with your, you know, your, your fists clenched. Um, but human beings aren't, aren't like that. Like if you, <laughs> if you step in without the defenses up, like, and you just step into like real, like human connection and friendship conversations can actually happen. Mm-hmm. They don't have to be on the levels of just kind of like hurling um, accusations or insults across like some kind of void on the internet or something. Like when you're face to face with somebody, it's a lot different. Absolutely. Um, the internet is where, you know, massive fights and misunderstandings erupt. But when you're with someone face to face, you have the opportunity to look them in the eye, to show them the face of compassion, to show them the face of Jesus by our own baptismal calling. And to simply say, you know, can you tell me a little bit more about your experience? Um, and that might open up huge doors where they actually want to talk about some of their pain, their grief, their trauma. Um, it might just be that maybe they've walked with someone a family member, a friend who felt like they had no choices, who felt like they were really backed into a corner and made a decision that, according to the lights that they had in front of them, seemed like the best alternative at the time. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe they weren't thinking clearly based on a lot of emotion or fear. Uh, maybe people around them weren't loving them or showing them all their alternatives. But all of those things kind of you know per, per, uh, present the narrative or the lens by which they view these issues and for us to sit there and say, I, I want to hear about that narrative. And why don't you tell me about your story? Uh, I, there's been countless people in the pro-life movement already doing this. Yeah. But those efforts, I think, need to consistently be expanded. Yeah. That's so true. Um, yeah, if we want to, we got to just keep, we got to keep bringing it back out of, yeah, it, the political reality is important in our country. Like, that's, that's how our society is built and that's how our society continues to move on. But, like, the world's not going to be saved by a political savior. The world's saved by Jesus Christ, like his precious blood on the cross. Right. And like mm-hmm. our, our baptism into that, uh, mystery and our continuation of that in the sacramental life of the church and please God in heaven someday. Um, so that's why it's so important to just like, remember there's something bigger than just the political battle, mm-hmm. you know, and what's bigger is just like, yeah, Christian mercy and Christian love, mm-hmm. um, that extends beyond these kind of like fights and be stand, it extends into, um, yeah, just the Christian life that's lived. And it and it's in flesh in these moments like this where it kind of flares up where there's there's need for a Christian witness. Um, but to yeah, to step back out of just like the political vitriol and step back and to say, Okay, what is Jesus inviting me to do in this moment? I, I think that's a beautiful segue to, to what I just wanted to say because this whole idea of Christian accompaniment for the uh, for the goal and the sake of the pro life movement, why do we do that? It's not to say that we're right and just approve something in a political agenda. Why are we going to accompany those who feel isolated, those who feel trapped, those who feel like they had no choice, those who are grieving, uh, those who are traumatized? Why do we do that? Well, because that's what God does. Yeah, That's exactly what Jesus was constantly doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it reminds me of, of Isaiah 49. Can a mother forget her infant, be without tenderness for the child of her womb? Even should she forget, I will never forget you. 
Um, so for any of our listeners who might feel a little outcast, might feel anxious, traumatized, uh, just remember that though Christians are not perfect, it is our mission to consistently accompany you, and we do so after the model of the Lord who is always accompanying you. And for anyone who's really grieving, anyone with a heavy heart, Jesus is accompanying you. He has not abandoned you, and you are precious in his eyes. Yeah. And that has to be the clarion call of the entire pro-life movement. It has to be the impetus by which we keep going. Yeah, absolutely. And just one last thing to you know not put you over the limit if you just finish up your treadmill run right now over the 20-minute mark. You see that just going over. So just keep going. Maybe start the warm-up lap, and you'll be fine. Um, Cool down lap. The cool down. Thank you. The cool down lap. You are already warmed up at this point in your run. No, the confessional can be such an incredible place of mercy, especially for abortion. And it doesn't sound like it. It sounds like it's a place of judgment and accusation. Um, that's not been my experience as a priest. Like mm-hmm. the the mercy and the tenderness. You know, like the grace of the sacrament of orders, but the grace of the sacrament of confession. Um, that fills my heart as a priest that like really stirs up our hearts right now in this conversation is because Jesus's mercy takes our misery to his heart and actually brings about real healing and and reconciliation within ourselves and with God and with others. Um, And that's so different than what the world kind of proposes um, to either just like, just be (laughs) kind of pissed off all the time and just fight Mm -hmm. or to just kind of like give up, um, give up the fight um, and, and kind of fall to despair. But the sacrament of confession for those who are struggling in the midst of these big questions in the, in the political kind of sphere or who've experienced and been a part of abortion themselves can be such a place of, of reconciliation and healing. Absolutely. Father, it's good to talk to you about all these things. I know it's kind of a heavy topic, um, but one that's really necessary in the light, not only just of what's going on in our culture, but just in the ongoing call to what we're supposed to be as Christians and as the church. So thanks for your input. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. And uh, let's keep journeying together as a pro-life people. For another two years. Happy anniversary, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. Catch you next time, and God bless.